It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm the host of Locked On Heat and my usual co-host, David Ramil, will not be joining me today. Instead, I will be joining Josh Lloyd, the host of Locked On Fantasy Basketball, on his show. So this is technically a crossover episode where Josh and I chat about the outlook of different guys on the Heat's roster as it relates to fantasy basketball. However, in using fantasy as a launching pad, we end up essentially forecasting how a bunch of Miami's players will do next season. Now, this is only the first 25 or so minutes of our conversation that goes for about an hour, so just the first half. I'd recommend heading over when it's done to Josh's Locked On Fantasy Basketball channel for the full conversation to hear us talk more about Hassan Whiteside and Justice Winslow, both of whom we cover a bit in the first half. And if you're a person who partakes in fantasy basketball, I can't recommend Josh's podcast enough. He's truly one of the best in the biz when it comes to analyzing fantasy basketball, and I'm sure he can help you in your league this season. As always, you can reach out to the show by email at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or on Twitter by using the hashtag AskLOHeat and send mailbag questions by leaving them in a review on iTunes. Now, here's my conversation with Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy Basketball. You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble. Another season preview podcast for you guys today. We're going to be looking at the Miami Heat and to talk about the Heat I'm joined by one of the hosts of the Locked On Heat podcast and that is Wes Goldberg back for a third year doing the season preview with me. Wes, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to this every year. We don't talk a whole lot of fantasy hoops on Locked On Heat. This is kind of like the only chance I get to do it, so so it's, it's always a good time. There's going to be quite a bit to talk about this team because there are some interesting uh, guys returning from injury, some open roster spots still on the team, some uh, some players who potentially could be looking to take some steps forward. So Let's get to it. To it. All right, let's get to it indeed. We will start just by having a look at uh, the, the question I always start these shows with is uh, the projected record for this team. You've gone with 47 and 35, which is well above the Vegas total of 41 and a half. Mm. This team made the playoffs, uh, first round exit to the Philadelphia 76ers as the sixth seed last season. Why do you uh, view them more positively than uh, the Vegas uh, line consensus? Well, no, first of all, they they finished with 44 wins last year. And for Vegas to dock them three wins, I'm not sure... I'm not sure why they did that, you know? I, I This team should, if, if anything, be more healthy than they were last year. So you would think that they would 
be around 44 wins. Um, Hassan Whiteside was injured for a lot of the year. He played hurt for a lot of the year. Deion Waiters obviously missed most of the season. They'll get him back. Um, James Johnson was ap- apparently playing with a hernia for for most of the, the final part of the season. And that that probably lead, led to his inconsistencies on both ends of the floor. And he recently underwent a procedure, too, to, to fix that. And so he should be even healthier. So if anything, they should finish with about the same amount of wins. And look, I mean, a lot of teams in the East right now got worse. You look at the Cavaliers, they're out of the way, essentially. Um, I don't know that a whole lot of teams in the East got any better. Uh, and so... I, I, I don't really see why Vegas would bring them down three or four wins. I originally had them around 45 wins, but then, you know, I think maybe my little my, my local Miami Heat bias got in the way and I upped it up to, to 47 just because I do think that there is some value in the continuity of the team. This is a, a superstarless team, right, despite their many attempts yep. over the years to, re, to replace LeBron with, with a new superstar but there, there is something to be said when, when there, there is continuity and there is a familiarity with it on offense and a familiarity on defense. And I think with Eric Spolstra coaching this team, I just I think that gets discounted a lot when, when we do these win totals. And so I think the Heat probably end up hovering between 45 and 47 wins this season. Yeah, your logic makes sense. They were injury uh, plagued last season. Uh, there's uh, something else that, that you know, I think is, is a factor, and this is not something that Miami Heat fans would want to hear, but the fact that at this point, Dwayne Wade's not on the team, and he wasn't actually a positive contributor to them for the second half of the season. So maybe that's addition by subtraction if they don't actually have to give him 32% usage and 22 minutes per night. Some other players who are actually in a better position and might be able to uh, you know, use those possessions more more efficiently or more effectively than what Wade did last season, but he could he could always return to this team. So I to agree with you that the over there is probably the way to go. Now, the projected leading scorer on this team, you've gone with Goran Dragic. He was the leader last season. We have heard some uh, some words coming out from Pat Riley saying oh, he, he thinks that Josh Richardson can get to 18 points per game. That seems a little uh, little far-fetched, but how, how far do you think that gap is between, say, Dragic and Richardson as that uh, leading scorer is? Is it possible for Richardson to push up there, or is Dragic clearly that uh, that guy? I love that that comment by Pat Riley. It's kind of that like classic Riley, like just trying to egg him on motivation kind of thing. Uh, can Josh Richardson be an 18 points per game scorer? I think so. Um, he had a great December, and I think fantasy owners that had him will remember that. Uh, and then a good first half to January, I believe. Um, 18 points a game, though, consistently is, is tough, and I don't see Richardson getting there, especially with the the re-addition of Deion Waiters, because let's remember, Richardson got that opportunity to be sort of that second score because of two things. And the number one thing was that Deion Waiters got hurt after the first 30 games. And then, of course, that Hassan Whiteside was underperforming. Now, if Whiteside is healthy and Waiters is healthy, Richardson's touch Richardson's not going to get the same opportunity that he had last year. That said, he'll, he'll get an opportunity, but it'll probably be as the tertiary score, not the secondary score. Um, and I and so I think with Dragic being the primary ball handler, understanding how to score on a consistent basis, which I think was Josh Richardson's mo- uh, most glaring weakness last year, was that at some games he'll go off for 22 points, the other game he'll put up six. Uh, Dragic kind of routinely hovered between 14 and 20, 21 points a game. Uh, and so for that reason, for the consistency over the 82-game stretch of the season... I still think the, that gap is is pretty wide, Josh, and I just I, I want to see more from Josh Richardson, but I just don't 
I, I, I'm not convinced that he has the consistency to put up the, that 18 points per game. He did score 13 points a game last year, which was good. I just I don't see that going up by five points per game. The consistency thing is interesting, and you brought up December. In December, he played 15 games last season. He averaged 17.5 points in those 15 games. That's obviously really impressive. He had a true shooting, though, of 66%. So he was shooting out of his ass. 47% from three during that time, 55% overall from the field. But inconsistency has been a problem because he started the year. The six games in October, 31% from three. The 15 games in November, 25% from three. But then the next three months, 47, 42, 46, and then 38% in March from three. So really got it going back to that sort of level of efficiency we saw from him in his rookie season. The second season, he was way down in efficiency. So he's all over the place in terms of where that efficiency lies. Now, if he can keep that keep that up, which he did for a, a four-month stretch there, December through to March, and extend that to six months, mm-hmm. then you're talking about 15, 16 p- points instead of 13 points. But it is – we just don't know what we're going to get from Richardson. I think the overwhelming body of work uh, through his three seasons is that he leans to an above-average shooter, but whether he can be a 40% guy or if it's 37%, that is a difference, and that might be the difference of you know half a point, a point per game, and then you know, the more confidence you get, the better you shoot, the more touches you get, the more relied upon you are in the offense, and that can push it up even further. So if he can maintain that, which again, which he did for four months, um, not quite as high as that December mark, then there's a possibility there. But If, I, if I could add one more thing on Josh Richardson, uh, that, that consistency has dogged him throughout his career, and that's, but look, that's, isn't that what separates like an all-star player yeah. from and superstar players from the, the rest of the bunch is that consistency? Now, we talked about the, the there's an addition of from addition by subtraction uh, of Dwayne Wade. The one thing that Dwayne Wade does bring for the Heat is a guy like Josh Richardson and Justice Winslow too. They had a lot more confidence when Wade was there, and I think that there's a behind-the-scenes mentor thing that's happening there. And that 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 second surge by Josh Richardson kind of coincides with the with Dwayne Wade coming back to Miami. And so that could be helpful for him. For the, and that confidence is a great point that you brought up because that's sort of been Josh Richardson's issue. But this summer he's working more on the isolation part of his game, a lot trying to keep the ball in a string, to use his words. Um, and so that might be more of a focus. And, and look, I think that's probably from the Heat, right? And that's a good sign if you're looking at maybe drafting a guy like Josh Richardson is that the Heat want him to improve those aspects of his game, which means that they probably, if he does that, they'll probably go to him in isolation situations. Because a lot of times, at the end of the season, even with a guy like Dragic on the floor, even with a guy like Wade on the floor at times, that the Heat would run a play for Josh Richardson at the end of the game. So that's something that Spolster trusts him to do, and and that could be good news for, for owners of Richardson or people that look to maybe draft him. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. I meant to uh, use this segment to talk about Dragic, but we've got onto Richardson, so let's continue to talk about Richardson. We'll get back to Dragic in a second. Last season, I believe it was on this podcast, I made the uh, bold proclamation that I thought Richardson was his team's best player. I was shit on by many, many different people. Would you say one year one year later that that is an accurate statement? You were right. Yeah. Thank Josh you. Josh Richardson, was, he, was, he was the best player for the Heat on both ends of the court. I mean, defensively, his ability to get steals, and he started doing this also later in the season, I think... Some of that had to do with Josh Richardson maybe having to do a lot more on offense than he was accustomed to earlier in the year. 
and then there was an adjustment period. But also, I think Miami played a conservative style of defense that they, I think, towards the playoffs and in the playoffs too, sort of amped up the aggression on the defense because they needed to score. They needed to start scoring more points um, and tried to create turnovers and jump passing lanes. But Richardson is one of the most valuable guys uh, on the Heat and probably in the league too. I've got. I probably got to do the math on that, but. In just generating steals and turning those into transition points, obviously he's not Russell Westbrook in that respect. But that should, you know, if if maybe he's not getting as many touches when a guy like Dwayne Wade and Deion Waiters and maybe, and Whiteside are scoring and they're on the court and they're on, and they're healthy, maybe that he's able to on on defense then, you know, ramp up the the aggression, jump those passing lanes, and create some transition opportunities for himself and for his teammates. He is obviously you know, really, really adept with those defensive numbers. He uh, is a guy that can average over one and a half steal and over a block per game, which as a guard is really, really fantastic. He was the 57th ranked player last season in fantasy. At the moment, Yahoo's got him ranked 56. I think he can actually do better than that this season. Again, if that consistency comes on and he, in his fourth season, steps up the usage, even if it's one or two usage points, then he can be, you know, become that guy who does become a, a top 50 a top fifty player. As for Dragic, I think he is overranked. Yahoo's got him at 54. I don't really see the rationale behind that. He was the 80th ranked player last season, so they're expecting him to take a leap forward from last year. He is uh, 32 years of age. I think it's unlikely that he takes a step forward this season. And one thing that did happen with Dragic last season was his legendary efficiency really dropped off. He was down at 45%. Go back a couple of years ago, he was a 50% finisher uh, from with his field goal percentage for multiple seasons, and that's dropped off. Is that an anomaly is that a factor of age him just being a little bit slower off the burst in terms of his finishing around the rim or was it just a, a weird one season thing where you could see that coming back no you you've been able to see a little bit um he he's starting to be less efficient around the rim because of the age he is a little bit slower and he, look he give Dragic some credit here he's trying to combat that by a couple things he's taking more perimeter jumpers and he's getting fouled on perimeter jumpers a little bit more consistently and can sort of call on that when he needs to but yeah, I do think that you're you're probably right. Uh, I seventeen point three points per game last season, four point eight assists last season. I and was you know he's a borderline all star talent. Made the all star game in the East because of uh, as an injury replacement. That's probably his last all star game, and that was probably going to be his last all star level season. I I just think at his age, with where he's at and sort of what his game is. I think you're going to start seeing the next phase of his career happen this year in which he's more of a floor general, a controlling, consistent kind of coach on the floor type presence, which is great for, you know, having on, if you're the Heat, you need that kind of player, especially given the fact that they're probably relying on some more inconsistent players and, and some more youth offensively. You need that Dragic presence. But as far as his fantasy uh, production is concerned, not as great, right? So... Uh, yeah, I think you're right. We might be seeing the last great, this might be like his last, uh, that might've been his last good season. We already saw him drop two minutes per game last year. He'd been a top 60 guy for the previous three seasons and the lowest field goal percentage he'd shot was 48%. So he's a guy that's always been a lowish steals guy, a lowish assist guy, and his fantasy value had come from scoring and doing it on really high efficiency. And when that drops, and if it drops by three, four percentage points, which it did last season, that means the points come down two or three per game and you don't have those assists. You don't have the steals. He's not a high rebound guy. He's not blocking shots like what Josh Richardson does. Then the rank starts to plummet. So he went from 44th in 16 17 down to 80th last season 
I think we see a little bit of a slip again. And definitely you don't want to be looking at drafting him in that 54 spot where he is on Yahoo. That just seems way too high. Um, Injuries, Wes, um, there are a couple. We talked about how this uh, team was bothered by them last season. How's Dion Waiter's ankle going? Because he missed majority of the season. But from everything that I understand is that he's not even guaranteed to be back for the start of the year. This is an injury that happened two years ago. He didn't get surgery because he wanted to get paid. The Heat seemed to know that. Then he played, what did he play, the 30 games and then had that surgery. It was a whole weird situation to me. And uh, it looks like it could be a, a, a thing that does bother him throughout the rest of his career. Yeah, he was super inefficient in those thirty games. Shot thirty uh, or shot thirty nine percent, almost forty percent from the from the field in total in those thirty games he played, and was just didn't look good. And that's why he ended up going with the surgery and everything like that. And you know, hopefully this isn't something that bothers him. They the Heat are they're taking it slow, right? And, and so yeah, he might not start the season, and so he's the projected starter at shooting yep. guard. But he, you know, that might not be the case to begin the season. It might be like Tyler Johnson or somebody else who's starting at that spot. Um, so I think the Heat recognize that this is a concern. Give, the, the Miami Heat training staff is one of the best in the league. And so you look at the way they've been able to sort of put a guy like Dwayne Wade on a maintenance program and, and make the, get the most out of guys like James Johnson in the past and things like that. You hope that they have the right approach when it comes to Deion Waiters, but then you hope that Deion Waiters also has the right approach. Uh, he has been training in Miami um, with Dwayne Wade's trainer and LeBron's trainer, those those famous biomechanics guys um, who sort of along like elongated those careers of LeBron and Wade. So you hope maybe something there will click right with Deion, and he starts to really take even better shape, care of his body since he he's sort of been doing that since coming to Miami. Um, it, it's just, it's hard to know what, what will happen with waiters, but certainly if he's not healthy, his production plummets more so than I think most players, just because he's not a consistent shooter from deep. He really relies on getting to the rim and sort of having his, ha- having his outside jumper play off of that. And when he can't finish at the rim, uh, because of that ankle, it really, really hurts his effectiveness. Look, let's, if we're going to be honest, he was terrible last season. A yeah. true shooting of under 50%, a large usage, played 30 minutes per game. And on the surface, you go, well, 14 points and almost four assists, that that can be useful. But he doesn't rebound the ball at all. He gets no steals. The shooting is bad from the field. The shooting is bad from the free throw line. He doesn't hit huge, huge volumes of threes. 1.7 is fine, but it's not up in that 2.2, 2.5 mark, which would actually boost his numbers. And for a guy that played 31 minutes and played 14, uh, scored 14 points per game, he was still the 183rd ranked guy on a per-game basis. Now, I think that he'll struggle to get to that 31-minute mark again this season because, yeah, Dwayne Wade may or may not be there. But with Justice Winslow heading into his fourth season, there's more minutes there. We've got that front-court situation with James Johnson and Kelly Linick and Bam Adebayo and Hassan Whiteside getting those minutes. So that perhaps, for me, moves Winslow down to the three a bit more. Maybe that means Richardson has to play more at the two. There's Tyler Johnson in that mix there as well. So I think 31 minutes for waiters with the ankle problem and the fact that he's still not fully healthy and the inefficiency, it feels like that's probably uh, an unrealistic expectation unless you've got something uh, something different to say or they're just going to bang him in and go 31 minutes. Here you go, Dion. You're the starter. I, I don't see it being that way. Well, I've been saying on Locked on Heat, it, the best way to view the Heat's lineup is as, a, is as a three-guard unit. They have so many guys that play guard there. When you when you consider Dragic and Tyler Johnson, Deion Waiters, Dwayne Wade, Josh Richardson, Wayne Ellington, and then don't and you mentioned Justice Winslow, who plays a lot of point guard for them off the bench yep. sometimes. So 
Uh, that's seven guys that you sort of have to figure out time for. But they, the way Spolster, I think, is going to go about it, and by the way, that's not including a guy like Roddy Magruder, who Spolster will try to shoe in every once in a while, uh, get him some minutes. But, um, yeah. And Derek Jones. Who they, and Derek Jones. Signed. Yeah, Derek Jones Jr., who looked really good from three-point range during Summer League. Uh, they might try to get him some run. But... Yeah, instead of looking at getting those like six or seven guys playing time at two positions, you're really looking at six or seven guys at three positions, right? Because they're going to use those three perimeter spots on basically all guards because they don't have a true small forward really on the roster. So with that said, maybe you start getting a little bit more playing time, but I agree with you, Deion Waiters, 31 minutes a game seems high, especially if he's not going to be productive. They didn't have Dwayne Wade at the start of last season when they had when they had Deion. Um, so they have a guy in Wade who, who, if Wade comes back, I should that obviously that's that's the big part here. I think he's coming back, but I have no significant material evidence that that's going to happen. Um, but if they do get a guy like Wade back, then all of a sudden you have a couple of guys who can create off the dribble and get their own shot. But if and if Josh Richardson continues with the progress that we were talking about, then maybe you have another guy too. But that's that's the real value of Deion Waiters. If Wade doesn't come back. And if Josh Richardson doesn't progress with the the way that the Heat coaching staff is hoping, then maybe you start seeing Dion get to those 30 minutes a game because, again, he is kind of, in that entire group, the only guy who could sort of just get his own shot off the dribble and just create for himself. Hey guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast. And being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. The other two guys who are dealing with injuries are the two Johnsons. Tyler Johnson had a thumb issue and James Johnson had that uh, hernia. I don't think there is any concern about them being ready to start the season, um, unlike unlike Waiters. Um, any, anything to be worried about with uh, either of the Johnsons? James Johnson, I think, will have a, a better year than last year. Uh, what's great about him is he just sort of loads up the box score. He you know, rebounds, assists, doing all the things. I expect him to be the starter. Um when the season begins and because there's just not anybody else on the roster that sort of does what he does. Uh, as far as Tyler Johnson, I would probably run away from him. Um, I just, when you kind of look at the depth of heat guards and what all of them do well, I feel like Tyler could end up getting the short straw here as far as minutes go. And so that's, despite him being in the first year of when this when that big contract that he signed a couple of years ago, this is the first year where it balloons to $19 million. Um, this could be the least he plays during his contract, unless something shakes out on the trade market, of course. He he played 29 minutes per game last season, was the 137th ranked player. Where's over under 25 minutes for Tyler Johnson? I think he, I think he suffers a pretty big hit this year. Oh, my, I would say way under, especially if Dion's healthy. If 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 Dion Waiters is healthy, because that's the reason Tyler Johnson played so much. He he became exactly. he went from six man to starter. Now that said, 
if Waiters is healthy and Tyler Johnson goes back to six-man, he's going to be more productive than he was last year. He'll certainly be more efficient than he was last year, but he won't play as many minutes. He can. Act, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if, if he's able to be the six-man, especially if Wade doesn't come back. If he's the six-man and actually scores more points, is more productive in fewer minutes because he's thrived much more against uh, uh, by going up against second opposing second units than he did against opposing starters. That said, yeah, I'd say way below, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch Tyler Johnson right now. He was 137th last year. I said for some reason Yahoo's decided that he's going to be better this year, and he's ranked <laughs> 93rd. You obviously should be avoiding that like uh, the plague. But at this point, Wes, there is literally one point guard on this roster. Is Tyler Johnson the backup point guard? Because he's not really a point guard, but there's nobody else. Uh, yeah, not really. Uh, I think you know most depth charts will probably list him as backup point guard. I think that's inaccurate. He mostly play. He's kind of Wayne, Elling- Wayne Ellington's backup more than anything. They run a lot of the same motions for him as far as um, you know coming off screens and and catch and shoot type plays that they have. I would say your backup point guard. If, if Dwayne Wade comes back, he's he's the backup point guard. Yep. Um, then Deion Waiters will probably get some point guard duties when Dragic is off the floor. They tend to stagger their minutes a little bit, and then of course there's Justice Winslow, who I think you're going to see a, even more. Uh, point guard usage from from Justice uh, going forward because they do have some front court position that they have to sort of some front court minutes that they have to loosen up and 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 use for guys like Kelly Olynyk and Bam Adebayo. As for James Johnson, he's the 83rd ranked player on Yahoo last season. He finished the year 98. 83 might be a little bit high for Johnson, but as I said, he was dealing with that injury, that hernia issue, so he could perhaps be better. He could also be worse because he is an older player. He's going to turn 32 during the season, so he's far from a young guy. And, yeah, physical declines can happen at any time, especially for guys who aren't considered elite-type players. Those uh, those drop-offs can really be uh, you know, quick and unexpected. So there is that risk there with Johnson. I definitely wouldn't be reaching into the 80s to try and, try and grab him. But we know what he can do. He can score. He hits threes. He blocks. He steals. He gets assists. He does all those things. But there is a possibility, especially when you consider how well Kelly Olenek played in the playoffs as well, that maybe Johnson loses a minute of playing time there, uh, depending on how they want to run things. So that is an element of risk if you went to take him at 83, which I, I wouldn't look to do. Let's... um. Let's change direction here and have a look at the two-way guys on this team, Duncan Robinson and uh, Yante Meten. Is it now? I'm pretty sure I screwed that up. How do I pronounce that? That's a great question. I don't know. I haven't gotten the media <laughs> guide yet. <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. All right. Let's just go with uh, It's probably the last time I'm going to say that name all season. But Duncan <laughs> Robinson was impressive in Summer League. One thing, Wes, I, I want to give a, a shout-out to the Heat. I love how all their Summer League guys, they all just wear numbers in the 60s. It's a tradition they always do. I don't know why they do it, but it's uh, it's always interesting. So it's always weird seeing guys out there in number 60, 62, 64 out on, on the court. But Duncan Robinson was one of those guys. He was impressive in Summer League, earned himself a two-way deal. And this is a team who doesn't actually have a full roster at this spot. So he could see some minutes. The Heat are renowned for developing these guys you talked about Rodney Magruder earlier on Hassan Whiteside was one of those players just getting guys off the scrap heap out of the G League and using them so uh, Duncan Robinson could be one of those guys this season yeah look I mean Duncan Duncan Robinson's a guy that the Heat have had eyes on basically since college he he told me actually during summer league that he knew that had he gone undrafted and he expected to go undrafted that the Heat were going to put an offer into him that was pretty much already uh, put in place. Th- th- those mechanics were set in motion much before the draft even started. And so this is a guy that the Heat already liked, right? And he proved why they, you know, there was, a, yep. there was definitely some assurance during Summer League why they liked him. Is that three-point shot. He's really, 
He's really good at shooting threes. He, he understands that that's where his bread is buttered, and he's a very intense guy. He He's a hard worker. They, that's what, why the Heat like him. That's why they had eyes for him in the first place. So that said, it's going to take some guys probably getting hurt above him for him to play. I see Duncan Robinson as more of a long-term play, sort of in the same way that um, the Heat went after a guy like Matt Williams out of my alma mater, UCF, um, last year for a two-way guy. Sort of that maybe Wayne Ellington and waiting kind of position, you know, because Ellington is signing these short-term deals. There is going to come a point where they're not going to be able to re-sign him without paying too much of a luxury tax that they're they're going to be unwilling to pay. So I think they're grooming these three-point shooters who can just do a little enough defensively, maybe enough off the dribble as far as attacking closeouts goes. They're trying to groom one of these guys in, in, in order to replace Wayne Ellington, but that's not going to be this season. It's probably going forward next season. But they're, they're, they've sort of, since the emergence of this two-way contract, you know, every team gets two of them. They've earmarked one of them for sort of a three-point specialist. Let's go to a different direction now. Um, in terms of this team and their overall you know, perception, national media-wise, or you know, just the general idea, is there anything that that is covered nationally on this team that uh, is somewhat of a myth or a misconception, something that gets uh, misreported that makes you guys, uh, local guys, um, you know, tear your hair out? Not necessarily misreported, but maybe taken for granted the fact that this team is cap-strung and, the fa- and they just have no cap room, not a whole lot of movable assets, um, and no real path to shaking the roster up. Even yep. We're not even talking about going and getting a superstar. Really just a, a major roster shakeup isn't really in the cards. I'll say this, um, I'm not one of these in Riley we trust, you know, fans that will will just trust in Riley no matter what, no matter how dark the situation looks, but I will say this team is is and will actively try to make a move if it means making the team better, not only not necessarily right now, but for the summer of 2019, I think this team, I think Pat Riley specifically has a, has a motivation to make create more flexibility for next summer. And so you could see one of these contracts shake up. And the guy that keeps being mentioned in trade talks is Hassan Whiteside, at least from a local angle. And I and the Heat would like to trade Hassan Whiteside as far as what I you know, from what I'm hearing, but that might not be possible because there's not a whole lot of NBA teams that want a center and ne- don't necessarily want a guy like Hassan Whiteside. Um so you could see a guy like Goran Dragic get traded, or you could see a guy like Kelly Olinick get traded, one of their more efficient uh, offensive players like that because they have so much more value. Nobody's going to trade for Dion, not when he's coming off that ankle injury. James Johnson's a little iffy, even though I think there are teams that would, would like a player like that. Um, and I don't think the Heat are particularly motivated to move on from one of their younger assets, like a Josh Richardson or a Justice Winslow. So you could see a guy like Goran Dragic or Kelly Olynyk get moved. And if that's the case, maybe they get something of value back. But as far as just the narratives, there are ways to get where they want to be and I wouldn't just pigeonhole them into a situation of this is their team they're pretty much stuck here for the foreseeable future thanks for listening one last thing before you go if you run a company and you're unhappy with your return from advertising online or in print try something new and advertise on a podcast here at Locked on Heat This is a great opportunity for local South Florida businesses to connect with Heat fans. More and more people are listening every day. 50% of U.S. households listen to a podcast, and one in five Americans between ages 18 and 49 
listen to at least one a month. That's according to Nielsen. Thanks to the rise in mobile options from iTunes to Spotify and more, to your smart speaker at home, there's more ways than ever to listen to podcasts. Now is the time to get in. Be ahead of your competition and start advertising on a podcast with us. Our rates are reasonable and based on the number of listens, so you get what you pay for, with numbers to back it up. Whereas print, TV, and radio ads are a shot in the dark. You have no idea who is reading, watching, or listening. That's not the case with podcasts. If you want to reach engaged, passionate, and knowledgeable South Floridians, this is the way to do it. For more information on next steps, email us at lockedonheat at gmail.com, and we could be talking about your company on the next episode. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.